0: Hello, welcome to People Data Insights. This is your host, Paul Ryman. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Brian Briscoe. Say hello, Brian. Say hello, Brian. Well, where's Brian? Well, I'm just by myself today. Holiday time logistics are getting in the way uh, between Brian and I. Uh, The literal answer is that Brian is in a city he travels to often, but this time he's being a bit of a tourist. So between travel and sick kids and taking some time off, you're stuck with just me today. This will happen from time to time, and in fact, we've got some upcoming episodes where I'm bringing on some special guests to highlight some of the people in HR uh, and in the world that are inspiring change, and I'm excited about that. Since I've spent a lot of time in the past few months talking to people, both in my network and getting to know some new folks, I'm I'm finding some really smart people with insights and ideas that I can't wait to feature, so stay tuned for that in a few weeks, but... Uh, With just me today, uh, and given it's just after New Year's, let's talk about 2023. Happy New Year! So happy 2023 to all of you from me and from Novo Insights. I hope you've had a happy, joyous, restful holiday season and are ready to kick off 2023 to make it your best year ever. Odds are, though, you haven't had that perfect holiday season, as this has been a bit of a strange one. I live in Chicago, for those who don't know, and, and we had cold weather even by Chicago standards. Like, Chicagoans are pros at complaining about the cold to each other and then justifying it to all their southern friends. And this week we had weather that provided just no justification. Uh, it was absolutely miserable. If you live in upstate New York, you experience snow that even people in Buffalo admitted they underestimated and our thoughts go out to those who are deeply affected by, by the weather. Um, I also saw a story about 25 or so people who got stuck in a Target for a few days. Uh, I think that might be one of those things that qualifies as a dream for my wife and a nightmare for me. It's also been difficult. I'm a parent of two smaller children, and like so many, we're stuck in what I've called the viral spiral. Uh, It's the, the sickness that just doesn't seem to end. And with kids my age, you can't just send them to bed with a game console or something like that to make it less miserable. So. Uh, Hopefully you all are better rested and well uh, than the Ryman family. So it's been maybe a rocky start or a rocky finish to 2022, but here we go pivoting into 2023. Um, I do wish you all uh, a happy year. I hope it's your best year yet. Um, And given that it's the start of a year, I figure let's talk about sort of trends and priorities and goals and resolutions. Um, As so many companies are in goal season, and it's certainly been a time for the HR world to prognosticate about what's coming in 2023. Um, you know, personally, so many people are resolutions people, um, right? This is that time of year where you make promises to yourself. According to Google, which of course is a trustworthy source, uh, 40% of people make a resolution uh, for the year. I'm not huge into that myself. Um, I've I've done it at times just to see what it feels like, but. You know, I organize my plans a little bit differently. You know, I think about, you know, uh, objectives, let's call them that for now, in three different categories. There's commitments, which are things that I will do. There's goals that are things that I want to do. And there's priorities that are things that I should do, right? Commitments are tend to be very near term, and I know I have the ability to do them. Um, so I, I commit to them. I, I know I can get it done. You know, goals are a bit more aspirational. Um, so there's some doubt exactly about how it will get done, but I'm confident in, in making progress towards it. And priorities, because they're things I know I should do, you know you have to actively create space for them to ensure success. And a resolution, I'm not sure which one it is. and you know my simple mind doesn't have space for four different kinds of plans. Um, it's got to be a commitment, a goal or a priority. So um, you know, a resolution feels like it's a little bit of all three at once, like you're committing, I will do it. But it's aspirational, and I have to do work to you know, set aside time to make it happen. So maybe that's why they're not successful. I think uh, also, according to Google, 80% of resolutions fail by February. Um, so maybe it's because it's not clear what kind of plan or objective it is. For those who wonder, uh, too, I, I'm a bit of a curious guy, I guess, and I can't my, stop myself from researching things. I always wondered why, like, why do people set resolutions at the beginning of the year? Um, I actually did some research on this a few years ago for a different purpose, and there's no answer. Like, there's no clear this person declared that New Year's was a time to do resolutions. Um, But I did find some reasonable explanations from history, um, most with a a religious bent to them. So about 4,000 years ago, the ancient Babylonians had a practice of making promises to the gods saying, I'll give this back, something that they borrowed, they'll give it back. It kind of feels like a resolution, sort of, or... 2,000 years ago when Julius Caesar changed the calendar and he named January after Janus, which is a two-faced God who um, looks back at the prior year and forward into the new year. So the Romans made sacrifices and promises to do better, better things uh, to Janus. So that seems plausible, the promise of doing better. Or then about 300 years ago, the Methodist founder, John Wesley, created the Watch Night Service, which was an alternative to the raucous New Year celebrations happening at the time. And during those services, participants would pray and make resolutions for the year. So that's probably the most direct connection to what we see as resolutions today. So I'll, I'll end that little history lesson just thought I might share since it's something that obsesses uh, space in my brain this time of year. But in, in a more modern sense, this is a time of year when so many look forward into the coming year with predictions and with thoughts about what's, uh, what's here to come Somebody worth following on LinkedIn or uh, signing up for the newsletter, Brian Hager, who's a talent leader at uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, he's a great LinkedIn follow, truly, or brianhager.com. I'll put those links in the show notes. He recently posted a cheat sheet of what kind of seven influential organizations wrote as kind of HR trends and priorities or what's coming to HR for the year, uh, for 2023. So these are good companies, good reputable kind of HR observers from Gartner, you know, HR Trend, um, Insight, which is a UK-based company, Visier, uh, the Academy to Innovate HR. So people who think a lot about innovation and growth and development within the HR space. And he put on a cheat sheet kind of what each of them had published as the HR and talent sort of priorities, trends, focal points for 2023. But the purpose of this won't be to go through all of them. Just don't have time, not sure how helpful it is to read through it. you can see. Um, but there's a few things about the list that struck me, um, that I thought I would share. Um, of course it'll make more sense if you look at them all (coughs) in advance, but, uh, I'll do my best to sort of summarize, um, you know, not, not assuming you've read them all beforehand here. You know, one, one big takeaway I noticed when I look across these seven, which granted they come from a different perspective, right? You know, Vizier's more analytics focused, indeed Glassdoors, obviously more recruitment focused, things like that. Um, but there's not a lot of commonality. So Brian, who is sharing, Brian Hager, who is sharing these this comparison, even highlighted sort of themes and topics across the seven. And you'll notice that he highlights six different themes, but no highlight shows up more than four times. So no more than four references, essentially, to a, to a theme as he saw it. So there's not a lot of commonality across these seven kind of prognostications about priorities and trends for the year. Um, so I, just, I found that kind of fascinating that, you know, we're not a function that has a clear this is the thing that you need to do. Um, you know, I think that's also a bit of a reality because what was a priority or, you know, for you, for your organization needs to reflect where your organization is. So even if Gartner says this is a big thing, kind of doesn't matter, right? Um you know, before uh, starting Novo Insights, right? The priority for the organization I was in was going private. Um, you know, that was not on my personal priority list for that fiscal year, um, nor was it on our functional priority list for that fiscal year. But it became the priority. So it kind of doesn't matter what's going on in the market and in the world when you need to pivot. Um, you know, so that will become a priority for so many, right? There's a lot of predictions. That a lot of software companies, you know, publicly traded SaaS companies might be going private in the coming year, just given the valuation busts and the ample capital that sits on the sidelines. Um, you know, so that might be something that's not a priority for the industry at large, but it will be a priority for somebody listening, um, just because it's going to be an important thing. You know, or uh, selling off a business. You know, one client I'm coaching through now, right? Um, that's not going to be a priority or a trend, but boy, is it their priority. Um, So I guess it's natural, I guess, that we shouldn't see, um, you know, that there is a single priority that needs to apply. So we shouldn't be too surprised when a list of, you know, key priorities isn't homogenous across them. Um, You know, I think another thing that struck me across these lists, you know, they all, I shouldn't say all, Brian Hager highlighted sort of remote hybrid work, you know, as one of the ones that cut across um, but it was interesting the, the way that each of these firms talk about sort of the uh, adaptation, the implementation of remote and hybrid strategies. There's not a lot of alignment about what that really means and what we're trying to do. So I think even though the concept may be a priority because it's been to an extent thrust upon us in a post-pandemic world and by a talent market that's, that's voicing strong preference, um, you know, but there's not a clear answer yet. So the the priority may exist, but it's hard to commit to what that solution looks like still as uh, so much is happening. There's a lot of innovation in that space. Listen to a previous episode where Brian uh, Briscoe and I talked about remote work and, and a lot of the investment that is occurring uh, to make hybrid and remote work even more successful. Another thing that struck me is um, there's actually not really any focus across the seven on managing the economic uncertainty uh, than we're in. <clears throat> you know, 2022 is a hard year uh, for HR in terms of you know pay budget uncertainty, a lot of challenge in workforce planning and hiring. Um, it's certainly not feeling like a great kind of economic market moving forward um, with all sorts of challenges from a recruitment standpoint. Um, Josh Burson recently did a, an article and uh, recorded a podcast, I'll put those links in the show notes as well, on the realities of the HR tech market and kind of what that looks like going forward. And he talks about how it's a hard, difficult market upcoming where so many companies have invested a lot in technology over the past several years. Um, and it's gonna be time to look at what kind of return on investment are you actually getting from those uh, past implementations or past purchases. You know, I know when I think about my own personal experience as an operator, there were so many tools that felt like they make sense, but there were one more tool that over time, just somebody didn't wanna use anymore (laughs) or the person who really championed it had moved on and as a result, there was less of a focus on its usage or the business problem it was meant to solve, you know, a a more organic or native solution came along the way. Um, So, you know, Burson kind of calls that out and says, there's really a need to start back with a strategy about what your kind of people experience or employee experience strategy is, and that will parlay into kind of what tools, systems, processes are necessary uh, in order to deliver that experience optimally. You know, certainly, by the way, if that's a quick commercial, if that's something you're concerned about or trying to figure out how to get the most out of the tech investments you've made, give me a call. It's kind of one of the things we do here. Um, But it's certainly, I think, in a a period of economic uncertainty, we do need to be thinking about, you know, is that $4 per employee per month investment something we want to make at this stage? Are we getting optimal value from it? Another thing that struck me about the kind of priorities and trends that were uh, shown here was a little bit less on sort of pay transparency than I would have expected. Now, maybe that comes from a lot of the work I'm doing with folks on pay transparency and the ripple effects thereof. Um, But I do think with the, you know, implementation of new California law, um, you know, past, you know, with the New York laws and things like that that have come into fruition, I do think we're just seeing an early stage wave of change in the compensation space since so many of the pay structures and pay practices, well maybe not so many pay practices, but pay structures were not built for publishing, (laughs) right? Our pay structures were largely built for administration and behind the scenes management and leader enablement. They, They weren't really built as a product for the employee or for the open market. Um, pay practice is a little less. So I think companies have done a better job of being more transparent and open about how they pay or how a plan works. Um, you know, but ranges, how do we think about ranges? How much do we pay for a job? How do we think about how much you get for a raise? You know, what's the market doing? Those are not things that we've necessarily always thought about publishing to the wider market. So there are legs to this in terms, in implications for talent acquisition, for talent management. Um, as the compensation world understands and digests how to, how to move into this uh, more transparent market. Um, it doesn't help that we're doing this in the context of more location independence for work. More jobs are being posted without a location or in multiple locations than I've ever seen in my career, that's for sure. And if you don't know if you're going to fill a job in San Francisco, Denver, uh, Chicago or Austin, <clears throat> it makes it a lot more difficult to post a relevant pay range, um, as might be required by California law to do so. Um, so it's a difficult world to to g- be more transparent. Yet here we are, uh, you know, requiring more transparency as a result. So it's a challenging time. I think there's legs there, so I'm a little surprised that there isn't more of a priority being placed on that, uh, or a tr- or a trend being identified around pay transparency. There's some there, but. It's pretty limited uh, in that sample of seven. I do recommend you know at least browsing uh, the cheat sheet, the Brian Hager cheat sheet that is uh, linked in the show notes. They're definitely worth reading through these articles just to see what others are thinking. Um, as I mentioned though before, I'm not sure they, they should be interpreted as your priorities. Don't, don't assume that because these are the trends that you need to respond to them. Um, I think I I drove my CHROs crazy in the past, kind of pushing on shiny object priorities, shiny object goals. Like, yeah, we think we need to do that, but do we really need to do that? Um, And I think some of these may reflect that. Um, There may be good reason to wait or good reason to say, yeah, that might be something that feels like it's happening, but now is not the time for our company to push on that. Um, you know, this may be a year to focus on the basics. This may be a year to, you know, address that longstanding, you know, I put this in little air quotes, evergreen priority, that goal that seems to always be there that never gets finished or that you don't feel like you've made a, you know, brought it to completion. Maybe this is the year for that. Or as mentioned, this might be a year of MA or divestiture activity in your organization that just needs to be focused on. And as a result, resist the temptation to throw one more goal out there or, you know, a, a approach one more shiny object uh, HR priority. Because that's just going to burn out your team and make a, a difficult talent market sort of even worse. So with that, those are just some thoughts and reflections about some, you know, trends and priorities that have been identified by others. Um, I do think, you know, given that we are moving out of a... a, a well, maybe not moving out of, we're still in a difficult and challenging labor market. But I think that the nature of how we manage a workforce and, and the role that a people team plays in that decisioning has certainly evolved and continues to evolve. So there, all the seeds in the, um, you know, the soil are there for, for you and your organization to make a bigger impact in 2023, You know, we're here to help, of course. Again, uh, shameless plug, but Novo Insights exists to help you make a bigger impact in your organization. If there's something we can do to help, please reach out. We'd love to do so. Um, But I wish you personally the best, professionally the best. Um, I hope 2023 is a year of growth. Um, Learn something new. uh, Take on a new challenge, that's for sure. I look forward to working alongside all of you in the coming year. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Novo Insights, where we exist to help people teams make a bigger impact in their organization. If you enjoyed this podcast, uh, do us a favor. Go ahead and share it on LinkedIn. If you find the Novo Insights posting that links to the episode and share that, there's some free swag coming your way. Uh, We'll reach out to you and, and see what you want but there's some fun choices like a a new T-shirt that talks about being a robot tamer for those of you that are in the business of training artificial intelligence Um, or my personal favorite that I wear whenever I talk to lawyers where it says at least I'm not a lawyer um, because it's not like us HR people have the greatest reputation in the world. So free HR swag uh, if you share the Novo Insights post that, that contains this episode. Second thing as always that I'd love for you to do Um, is to like uh, or follow, subscribe, and uh, give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on pretty much all of them. Um, So give us a a like there. The robots like it when they see that other people enjoy it. Uh, appreciate those of you who have done so so far. So once again, thanks for listening. This is Paul Ryman. Until next time. Has anyone looked at your exit interview data lately? Probably not. In a recent LinkedIn poll, nearly 80% of respondents said that their exit listening strategy was ineffective. So maybe it's time to try something different. Nova Retain is a purpose-built exit survey that's easy to deploy to your departing employees to learn more about why they are really leaving you. Using a third-party survey removes bias and promotes honesty and shows your departing employees that you care about their opinion. Our simple reporting tools make it easy to see trends, and our analyst experience can help you generate ideas to improve retention. Find out more by going to www.NovoInsights.com slash NovoRetain.